Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Super excited about the brand new series I'm beginning. It'll be a two-parter. Me and the Petrocolors are going to love this series. It's called Christian Cliches. And I absolutely love the subtitle, Turning from Hearsay to He Said. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, what cliché is? A cliché is something, uh, it's a French word. It had its origin in the 19th century. It literally came from a printing press. And literally, when the word cliché came about because there would be the same noise and the same thing printed over and over and over and over again. And that's exactly what's happening in the church today. We have a lot of Christian cliches that people say, that people repeat, that grandmama talks about and her grandmama talks about, but they were never in the Bible. So we want to make sure we go from hearsay to he said. How many know hearsay is not accepted in a court of law? We don't want that when it comes to the Word of God. We want to make sure we know what He has said. Anybody ever hear a modern cliche? If you haven't, here's a few of them. Check it out. So before you marry somebody, have them get on the computer with really slow internet speed so you can find out who they really are. Hey, didn't see you there. Some people say money's not the key to happiness. I don't know. You got enough money, you can buy a whole bunch of keys. <laughs> Common sense is like deodorant. The people who need it most never use it. Clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no say in society. That many naked people? Life gives you lemonade? Make a lemon. Life will be all like, what? <laughs> When it comes to plastic surgery and sushi, a good rule to remember for life is don't go for the bargain. Never put off tomorrow. N never put off till tomorrow. What you can put off to the day after tomorrow just as easy. When you can put it off tomorrow, just put it off the day after tomorrow because it's easier. It can always wait, man. It happened faster than a knife fight in a phone booth. Oh, because, you know, in a phone booth, you're really close to each other and you, you can't get away. 
Remember, you're only one stomach flu away from your Waco. Keep it moving. 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 Come on, I like that last one. Cliches. Let's jump into our key verses right off the bat because I want you to understand this all began, cliches, all began in the Garden of Eden. Let's make sure that we understand what he said and not hearsay. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17, and right off the bat, we're going to find out what God said and then we're going to find out how the enemy turned that into hearsay. Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God, ever say Lord God. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Hebrew language literally reads, in dying, thou shalt die. And he's literally talking about that mankind first died spiritually. And then it caught up to Adam. He didn't physically die until about 900 years later. But in dying, thou shalt surely die. Now, that's what God said. That's his word. That's not hearsay. That's he said. That's not a cliche. That's directly from the mouth of God. And now notice what the enemy's going to do in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 5. He's going to turn what he said into hearsay, into a cliche, and he does the same thing today. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God, ever say Lord God, had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Now, I want you to see something very subtle. Here, right off the bat, the enemy is questioning the word of God. He still does it today. And if you are a good student of the Bible, you notice something already, that the enemy dropped the word Lord. You may not have noticed that. You say, well, why is that important? It's extremely important. The word God there is the Hebrew word Elohim. And, and, of course, it means God, but the word Lord is Jehovah. And notice the enemy dropped the word Jehovah. Why? Because the word Jehovah personalized God. Jehovah is the old covenant word to describe how God is. So the very first thing the enemy wants to do is make God, some impersonal guy in the sky that doesn't care about you. That's his first goal. When he begins, cliche. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And so he's questioning the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said... You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Now, I want you to see something right off the bat. Here, Eve has added to the word of God. God never said, you shall not touch it. He simply said, don't eat it. He didn't say, don't eat it and don't touch it. So now you've got the devil taking away from the Bible, and now you've got mankind adding to the Bible, and that's still what happens today. 
Notice here, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Here we go. Let me help you understand right off the bat, because this is going to, I know we're going to blow over some holy cows today, and I may step on a few toes today, so let's get it out of the way right off the bat. Can you turn to the person on your right and say, I love my pastor. Come on, just say it, just say it. Now turn over here and say, hey, second choice. Second choice, I love my pastor. Now listen, I'm going to talk to you today. I may blow over some holy cows. I really may. But how many don't want tradition? We don't want cliches. We don't want hearsay. We want he said. Because if we're going to direct our life, by the word of God, we need to know what he said. Let me give you a life point that will help summarize what we're trying to say. You are more prone to deception with secondhand information. That's powerful. That's exactly what deceived Eve. Secondhand information, not directly from God, but from the enemy who takes the word of God and twists it. How many know there's normally a little truth in every single lie? And we're much more prone to deception when we have second-hand information. That's why we challenge everybody in this church. We appreciate respect for the pastor, but know the Bible for yourself. Please. We are getting online. I was texting a friend of mine uh, just the other day. We're getting online, and we're using certain people in the body of Christ like Christian horoscopes. No, it's just easier to, ch to just touch their little channel, and half of them are nuts. Know the Bible for yourself. Again, thank you. We appreciate the pastor. Please respect the pastors like you would. This is what I give my life to. But I still want you to know the Bible for yourself. I got my son here on the front row, and now he's got his own walk with God. But right around the age of 14 to 16, he really came into a struggle with, is this my relationship with God, my own, or is it what I'm living through my mom and dad? And every one of your teenagers will go through that. Because there's no such thing as a second-hand relationship with God. God has no grandchildren, just children, just sons, just daughters. So he had to have his own walk with God. How about John 8, 32, where the Bible says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Listen to your pastor. It's not the truth that I know that will make you free. It's the truth that you know that will make you free. Be like the Berean Christians in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, that they studied the scriptures for themselves and God considered them more noble. Listen, you need a local church, you need a pastor, come here, get the word of God, but don't let me do all your studying for you. Make sure you take what I say. I quote a lot of Bible verses. Make sure that that's accurate. Every once in a while, I'll make a mistake, but make sure you know the Bible for yourself. Remember Lot? He had a second-hand relationship with God, 
Abraham had the direct contact with God. Abraham was the one that heard directly from God, but then Lot had a second-hand hearsay relationship with God. And the first thing that happened when Abraham and Lot separated, think about it, what happened? Lot went right, let's, let's modernize it. It's, it's our kid going off to college. And he went right to Sodom and Gomorrah U. How many understand what I'm talking about? The Bible says he pitched his tent outside of it. But the first thing that he did when he got free from mom and dad, if you will, is he went right to the edge of the world just to see how close he could get. And Peter describes it in 2 Peter chapter 2, 6 through 8, that, watch this now, that righteous Lot was vexed every day, seeing and hearing what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. In the Greek tense, it's continually seeing and continually hearing. In other words, he pitched his tent near. He kept hearing and seeing the party going on until he wanted to join it for himself. People, I, I get this all the time, 40 years of ministry. Pastor, I just don't know how I got here. We all say that, but listen to me. How you got here in this giant mess is because you first drew near. You don't wake up here. Before you're ever here, you first draw near. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But boy, is that true. And so now think about this. Lot got so engulfed in that culture when the angels came to rescue him and to pull him out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it was destroyed. The Bible says that the angels found Lot at the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what does that mean? The gate is where the political leaders were. Lot had got so engulfed in the culture, he was, I'm modernizing it, the mayor of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about that. And he barely got out. You know the whole story. Barely got out. And his wife looked back, remember that, and turned into a pillar of salt, the first case of assault and battery. <laughs> Come on, somebody smile in the house of God. Why? Why did all that happen? Because Lot had a secondhand relationship with God. We've got to make sure we know him for ourselves so now here we go. I'm going to break this down. I'm going to give you five cliches. Now, now, now everybody, before you put anything up on the, on, the, on the screen, please look at your pastor. You may see one that is your favorite. You may see one that you have over your fireplace right now. And this is your favorite thing. This is what you say all the time. I may be blowing over some holy cows today, but how many know that holy cows need to move? How many know holy cows are utterly ridiculous? So I, listen, if, even if I talk about your very favorite cliche, let's analyze it. Don't get angry before we analyze it according to the word and not a French printing press that just keeps saying the same thing over and over and over. That's what Jesus called in Mark chapter 7, seven 6 through 9, the traditions of men that make the word of God have no effect. Something that man has repeated over and over and over and over again until it literally now hurts the word of God in your life. Is anybody interested?
Over the next couple of weekends, I'm going to give you five, and we're going to explore them greatly. And these are five that are just, just spreading throughout the body of Christ for a long time. But you cannot find this fully in the Word of God. Have I piqued your interest? I'm wondering if I should just stop here. Well, you still love me. All right, let's talk about it. Five Christian cliches that will cause you to crash. Here's number one. It's going to be your favorite, and I'm going to hit the big one right up front. Here we go. God is in control. Oh, now, Pastor, I say this every single day when my life is spinning out of control. I say that just to comfort myself. It's like my own personal little placebo that God is in control. Listen to me very closely. Please understand right off the bat, you know what your pastor teaches. God is certainly sovereign. Uh, the Bible is very clear that he is omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's uh, omnipotent. He's, he's all-powerful, no question about it. God can do anything, but he can't lie. God can do anything logical according to his character. In other words, God cannot create a round square because that's illogical. God cannot create an honest politician because that is illogical. If I'm the only one having fun today, at least I'm having fun today. No question about it. I want you to understand the balance here. I believe in a sovereign God, and there are certain things that he will do sovereignly. There's no, no matter what you believe or don't believe, it's going to wrap up like he wants to. Could I have an amen? We have to balance this out with the Scripture because in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and through 28, God gave mankind dominion. He gave mankind free choice. You know, it, it, I've had people talk to me, well, and I've asked this question because people get all, you know, nervous about that. If, you know, if, okay, if I could take away the portion of your brain that allows you to freely think and then promise you for the rest of your life, you'd be really, 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 really happy, but you could no longer decide for yourself. There would be nobody in this church that would take me up on that. And that's why God did not create robots, folks. He created you in his image and likeness with the power to choose. And so listen to me very closely. We have to balance that thought process. Let me show you Psalms 115 and verse 16. Check it out. Notice what the Bible says. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but watch this. But the earth has he given to the children of men. God gave you and I mankind dominion. And once he delegates something to us, he's not taking it back. Now, right off the bat, I need you to get out of two ditches as, right, as before we go any further. If you'll find anything about this church, this church is balanced. If you'll stay here long enough, we have never, ever, ever gotten the people that we serve into a ditch on either side of the fence. The Bible tells you and I, 2 Timothy 2.15, to rightly divide. Everybody say divide. Rightly divide the Word of God. We're not going to get you in a ditch here. We're not going to get you in a ditch here. But I am going to give you two ditches that are permeating the body of Christ right now in this subject matter. And I need you to stay out of both. Let me give you thought number one. Here's ditch number one. Check it out. Six dim dominion dynamics. There is a difference between dominionism and taking dominion. There is a difference between taking over and taking your authority. God gave you dominion. God gave you authority. 
But dominionism is a whole different teaching permeating the body of Christ that eventually we as believers are going to take over everything on this earth and change every area of this earth and America and this whole world and take it over for God. That is not what the Bible teaches. And you need to stay out of that ditch or you're going to get yourself very, 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 very frustrated. Here's what I mean. I would illustrate it this way. This is uh, just not my own. This originated from D.L. Moody. This is a really, really powerful thought. Uh, dominionism is uh, simply where here's the Titanic. Uh, it's sinking. It's hit an iceberg. It's going down. And, and here you and I as Christians, we come over in our lifeboat and, and we jump on uh, the Titanic and we fix everything and we, and we fix the hole in it and we fix the whole boat and we make it wonderful and awesome and, and we just pull into the harbor of love and everything is great in this world and we take over all the areas of this earth. But that's not what the Bible teaches, folks. Very clear. Dio Moody said this, and it was very powerful. No, here's the Titanic, and it is sinking. No question about it. Now, he didn't use the Titanic because he wasn't alive during that time. I'm using the Titanic because I can tell some of you Pharisees are already Googling. You know, I, I understand. I know what I'm talking about. It's an example. And so here's the Titanic, and it's sinking. And the gospel, the Bible teaches that you and I are in a completely different ship. We get as close to the Titanic as we can. We throw as many life rafts as we can. We get as many lifeboats as we can. We try to get as many people off of the Titanic as we can and to jump onto our boat because that boat, the world system, is going down. It's going down. It's going to sink. And I want you to understand, that's our job. Come on, everybody. Get off that boat. It's going down. Get out of that world system. Come into the kingdom of God. Yeah. That's what the Bible teaches. Let me, let, me, let me show you this very clearly because I get this, you know, from so, the, this dominionism stuff. It's, it's error, guys, and I summarily reject it. We should take dominion. We should use our authority. But dominionism, where we take over all the facets of the earth, is not taught in the Bible. You can see very clearly there's a dichotomy as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord. There's a dichotomy of light and darkness. Isaiah chapter 60, 1 through 5, the Bible talks about that there'll be darkness on the earth and gross darkness on the people. Everybody say gross. But in that same time, the light, the glory of the Lord shall be seen up on us. There's a dichotomy. Darkness will grow darker, but the light will grow brighter. But they're at the same time, both in existence and both growing. We don't eradicate the darkness. We just shine ever brightly. Jesus said in John chapter 15, as he prayed right before he left this earth, and he said in John 17 and verse 15, he said, I don't pray, Father, that you take them out of this world. I pray that you keep them from the evil in it. He didn't say that the evil would be eradicated. He just said that you and I would be protected from it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, the Bible describes an age 
where people will get darker and darker and darker. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, a cycle of deception will grow darker and darker. But in verse 14, the Bible says, but you and I should continue with the word of the living God. The Bible talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 9, at the very same time, there will be a departure from the faith, but yet a revival at the very same time. I'm seeing that right now. A, a, a giant megachurch pastor is now leaving the word of God, and it's going to happen more and more and more. You'll see 1 Timothy 4, 1, in the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. But the good news is at the same time, while people are departing from the faith and departing from the word of God, people will be coming into the kingdom. 68 people here over just the last month, like never before. So it'll be an economy of darkness and an economy of light. Because anything that God does, the enemy has a counterfeit. Let me explain. How many know the kingdom of God? There's prophets. Even though this is a nonprofit ministry. But the Bible talks about in Matthew 7 and verse 15. The Bible talks about in Matthew 24 and verse 11. There are false prophets. In Ephesians chapter 4, 11 or 12, there are apostles. But the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 through 15, there are false apostles. The Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, there's teachers in the body of Christ. I'm one. But the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 4, there are false teachers teaching damnable heresies. The Bible talks about that there are evangelists in the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.11. And the body, Bible talks about in 2 Thessalonians that there will be lying signs and wonders. Evangelists have signs and wonders following them. But there are lying signs and wonders. The Bible talks about the gospel. How many know that? In Galatians chapter 1, 6 and 7, there is a false gospel. We have the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The enemy has Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. False prophet can be found in Revelation chapter 13, 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 5. And there is whatever God does, there's the false. And at the same time God's doing, the enemy's doing the false. That's why it's imperative that we stick with the word of the living God because it is the true. You don't have to be... Consume with the false when you stick with the true. Amen. Any policeman, any FBI agent will tell you that they don't study counterfeits. They just study the real thing. So when the counterfeit shows its ugly face, you'll recognize it just like that. Helping anybody. So we've got to stay out of the ditch of dominionism while still using the authority that Jesus Christ granted you. That's ditch number one. Now, ditch number two, number two, this is powerful. Hyper-sovereignty teaching has paralyzed the church to the point of passivity. You no longer use your faith to overcome. You use your faith as you are overcome. And when I say hyper-sovereignty, I, I, I literally mean we just pawn everything off to a sovereign God. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, you can't blame the sovereign God for everything that's going on? And what if, listen, if, if I 
where God, if I were the enemy, I would convince you of this hyper-sovereignty doctrine and that completely rules out the enemy. How many know what the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 7? Submit yourself to God. Hupotasso. Get under. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Resist his antihistamine. We get that little booger the devil out of the way. Listen, and if everything that happened was the will of a sovereign God then there would be nothing to resist. And if I were the enemy, that's exactly what I would teach you so that you would lie down when the enemy comes around to beat your brains out and then blame God for it. Both of those are ditches. Stay out of them. This will explain more what I'm talking about as we continue to go. Number three, check it out. If God is waiting on you to use your authority, and he is, and you're waiting on God to take in control, there is a disconnect. We're, we're, we're not going to connect. Let me further explain. Let me give you number four. You must take authority over your thought life, your feelings, sin, sickness, and the devil. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, 2 Corinthians, uh, the Bible says in chapter 6, that your 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, the Bible says that your spirit and your body belong to God. Ever say, my spirit? And my body. You, you understand, your spirit belongs to God, your body belongs to God. That's why we have no right to do whatever we want to do with our body. I always tell people about the three dishes that we do with our body. We either adore it, adore it, or ignore it, or abhor it. Don't do any of those things. It belongs to God. Now, what is conspicuously missing? Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. Guess who that belongs to? You. Because God created you a free will moral agent. And if you don't stop your crazy thoughts, some of you right now are not paying any attention to the pastor and you're thinking about the basketball game today. That is not the will of a sovereign God. You've got to take control over your thoughts. You've got to take control over your feelings. Over sin, sickness, and the devil. Let me, let me continue to explain. You'll see this ever so closely as we jump through this, that God is not fully in control of everything. What, what do you mean, Pastor? Let me give you three thoughts here. No, I'm going to give you three control questions. Check it out. Look, number one, did God control you speeding on the way to church today? <laughs> Come on now. I'm, I'm looking at two police officers right over there. Can you imagine if they pulled you over and you said, hey, this is just the will of a sovereign God. God is in control. And I am all, he'll say, I am also in control. And here's a ticket. I'm in control of that. You know what I'm talking about. It's foolhardy. Look at question number two. Did God control how you treated your spouse on the way to church today? Oh, we had a couple of fights on the way by that response. I can tell you right now, my wife and I are angelic when it comes to going to church together. We never, ever, ever fight on the way to church. You know why? We take separate cars. <laughs> I'm a smart man. I'm a very smart man. <laughs> third, third thing you need to know, if God is in control, is he controlling me when I tell you he's not fully in control? Turn to your neighbor and say, 
And I want you to think about that, folks. We have to balance that thought out. God is in control. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, he created you and I with a free will. Look at, look at number five. You saw it a moment ago. This is why the fruit of the Spirit is called self-control and not God-control. Now, certainly God gave you that when you got born again. He put that in your spirit. That's one of the fruits. But you still got to use it. It's not God-control. It's self-control. Helping anybody. Sixth thing that we need to balance it out with is God owns the apartment complex, but is not in full control of all that goes on in each unit. You know that. He owns everything. It's, it's going to wrap up like he wants it to. But listen, I, I got my car keys right here in my pocket. If I gave them to my son, I own the car. But if he did crazy things in that vehicle, I own the car, but I'm not in full control of what goes on when he's driving it. That's why I don't give it to him. <laughs> just helping anybody. So it's a cliche just to simply say without some balances that God is in control. Now, the second one you're not going to like any more than you like the first one. But I want you to, I want you to make sure that you're balanced. I don't want it to be hearsay. I want it to be he said. All right, here, here's number two. You ready to handle Can you handle it? Here we go. Number two, check it out. Everything happens for a reason. Oh, come on, Pastor. Now, that's my favorite one. I use that one all the time. Don't be saying you and your two-layer thing. You got a sweater and you got a shirt. You think you're so smart with the Greek words. Stop it. <laughs> now, hold on. I agree with you that everything does happen for a reason. But normally, you mean the sole reason that everything happens is God. And I'm going to submit to you that that's not fully balanced in what the Bible teaches. Yes, everything happens for reasons, but it's not just God. Let me see if I can prove it to you. Let me give you four thoughts about that. Four reason reasons. Number one, there is a good God, no question. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. That word steal is kleptos. We get a word kleptomania from it. The devil is a habitual thief. That's all he does. He's a taker. You, 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 anybody in the house know a person that's a taker? If you're a taker in the house, man, you're just like the devil. We need to be givers. Because notice the end of that. Jesus said, I am come. I am come that you might have, that you might have. He's a giver. I am come. You might have life and it more abundantly. How about Acts 10.38? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were, watch this, oppressed of the devil. So in that verse, you can find out that God is the blesser and the devil is the oppressor. Amen. So there is a reason things are happening, but it's not always a good God. There is a good God. John 14, 9, Jesus said, if you want to know what God's like, Jesus said, look at me. So how, how does Jesus handle things here when he was here on this earth? Because that's the heart and nature and character of God. Hebrews 1, 3, 
that Jesus is the express image. The word image is icon. We get our English word icon from it. And it, it, means, a, it, mean, it means Jesus is an exact mold of God the Father. You want to know what God's like? Check out what Jesus did in the Gospels. So there is a good God. Everything does happen for a reason, but it's not always just a good God. What else is it? Pastor number two, there is a bad devil. That is some of the reason why a lot of crazy things are happening. I hear a lot of atheists, and I, I minister to a lot of atheists. I've had the privilege of leading a good number of atheists to Jesus Christ. There are some of them that are here that are now born-again believers that are becoming more and more discipled every single week. Thank the Lord God. It's, I, I love atheists. I love talking to them. I, I absolutely love it. And I, I hear a lot of them, they'll say... They'll do this. Goes, well, if God is in control, he's not doing a very good job. And that's where I must totally agree with that atheist. Because that's not what the Bible says. That's what a lot of religious people teach. But that's not what the Bible says. There really is a bad devil. And let me show you both of these verses. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You may not even know this is in the Bible. In whom the God, little g of this world cosmos, this world system. So the, the, the devil's not the God of the earth. He's the God, little g, of the world system. Hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's one of the things that you should pray when you're believing God for people that don't know Christ. Because if they could see Jesus clearly, they would receive him just like that. Has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Here's another one, 1 John 5 and verse 19. We know that we're of God. And watch this. And the whole world, cosmos, the whole world system lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, this is powerful lies under the sway of the wicked one. In the King James, it just says lies, but the New King James brings out lies under the sway, and it does so for a reason, and it's pretty powerful because that word lie is kami, and kami means to rock or sway like you would an infant, and that's exactly the picture of what the enemy is doing in this world system, just rocking us into a false sense of, of security. Sure, just go with the system. Sure, just go with all the crazy people. Sure, just make me, listen, just make sure that if, if they're more powerful than you and richer than you, that you just believe everything that they say. How about you think for yourself? How about you think according to the word of God? Is this helping anybody? So, yeah, everything happens for a reason, but it's not always a good God. It's also a bad devil. And this is my favorite. I love this. Now, number three, check it out. No, it's not my favorite. My favorite's coming in the fourth one. But he'll... <laughs> Cursed world. What do you mean? There's so much misunderstanding about these verses in Romans 8, 19 through 22. And the Bible talks very clearly about this whole world is groaning. It's groaning in it because it's under a curse. What do, you, what do you mean? How many remember when the whole, everything that was made out of dust was under the curse? That, that's why, let me, let, me, let, me, let me help you understand that. You remember, you remember sometimes in the old covenant, 
You remember, you remember where God would say to certain people, like with Moses by the burning bush in Exodus 4, this is, I'm going to give you some heavy revelation. This is holy ground. Take off your shoes. Now, now why, what, do you ever think about that? Why, what's, the, what's the deal on that? No, nowhere in the new covenant is that said. Now, now why, why would that be? I want you to think about it for just a minute. Because where God, that small little place where God is, is now not under the curse. Because this is holy ground. This is where I am inhabiting. So it's okay to take off your shoes and touch this cursed world because this area ain't. That's bad English, but you get the point. <laughs> is, is this helping anybody? And there's going to come a time where the curse will be lifted off this earth. It's called the thousand-year millennial reign. You can find it in Revelation 20, 10 through 15. You can find it in Isaiah chapter 65. And the curse will be lifted off this earth. But in the meantime, this whole world is under a curse, and it's groaning. It, it's groaning because it's waiting for the time of the millennial reign where the lion will lie down with the lamb and where kids will not scream in the middle of church services. <laughs> That'll never happen in the millennial reign. It'll all be awesome. It'll all be wonderful. Sad thing is, that wasn't a kid. That was my mother. <laughs> Ushers. <laughs> this is helping anybody. It's groaning. But in the meantime, that's why you see earthquakes. That's why you see tsunamis. That's why you see tornadoes. That's why you see hurricanes. It's not the judgment of God, folks. It's a cursed world that is separated from God. It's out of whack. And that's a reason that things happen. Not just a good God. There's a good God. There's a bad devil. There's a cursed world. Now my favorite, number four, I love this one, stupid people. <laughs> I mean, you're sitting next to one right now and you don't even want to look at them. Let me prove it to you from the Bible. Let me give you two verses, one from Proverbs, one from James. Proverbs 19 and verse 3, New King James. The foolishness of man, watch this, twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. In other words, he twists his own way, and then one translation says, and blames God. Aren't we famous for that? Don't you remember where it started? It started back in the garden. Me and Josie know this. It's this woman you gave me. Can't be me. I'm, I'm Adam. What is this woman you gave me? So we're going to blame everybody but us because that's what we do best. We self-justify. Tell everybody else they're lazy, but when we do it, we're thorough. We're fantastic at that. We twist our own way, and then we blame God. That's not fair. You've got yourself a good God. He's not your problem. He's your solution. Amen. And look at James. Here's the counterpart, New Testament. But every man is temp tempted, parazo in the Greek language, tested, tried, tempted, scrutinized. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, notice here, everybody say drawn and enticed. Both of those words are fishing terms. 
The one word drawn is the Greek word exelko, and it means to be drawn away with bait. The other one, enticed, is the Greek word that means to be captured by bait, and I brought just a couple of, I'm a fisherman, so I, I don't know if you can get a close-up, Mr. Cameraman, on this, but here's a couple of little fish, little pieces of plastic bait that looks really, really, really real. And the whole idea is for me to throw this in front of some sort of a good-sized fish and him go, ooh, lunch. <laughs> and he comes out of hiding, and he thinks, all right, this is awesome. And what does he do? He bites down on that sucker. Why? His own lust, epithumia, his own craving. He's so hungry, he wants to bite on anything. And that's mankind to a T. We so badly want to sin, we'll fall for anything. And so that's exactly what happens. He bites down on it. Thank you, sir. Bites down on it. Then when lust, epithumia, has conceived, the Greek word here, this is talking about a man and a woman that are physically intimate, and they then have offspring. When they conceive, what, what is he saying here? He's saying when our lust and our will have union like a man and a woman, the offspring that we produce is not good. Let me describe it here. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin when it is finished, apotalia, when it's completely finished, when it's thoroughly finished, when it's come to the very end, when it's completely done, watch this now, it brings forth death. Let me have one of those if I could again. So again, going back to my little fishy, I want you to see what happens. Out of my own lust, I think, okay, let's go. And I bite this thing. And I don't recognize this is a phony baloney. And all of a sudden, there's something on the other end of this that sets the hook. And that hook, I won't actually do this. I will only do so much for you people. I can just say, go do it, Pastor, do it. No, because next you're going to try to get me to smoke. I'm not going to do that either. So, it's just that hook is just set in the jaw of that fish. And now, all of a sudden, what was once fun and what tasted good at first, sin has pleasure for a season. Now I am stuck. Now I am addicted. Now I am being pulled into directions that I would never thought I would go. I'm hanging around people I never thought I would hang around. I'm doing things I never thought I would do. How did I get here? Because I first took a bite. Because of my own lust. Not because God did it. Not because everything happens for a reason. My own lust, I chomped down on this thing. And now all of a sudden I find myself being pulled into an environment that I never thought I'd be in. I'm lifted up into some place in a boat with some grizzly man with Bass Pro Shop on his shirt. And now, if, I don't know if you've ever seen a fish in the water. Fish in the water are such beautiful creatures. You can tell they're in their element. But if you've ever seen a fish out of the water, it is the stupidest looking thing in the world. 
You can tell it is out of its element. And then before you know it, I am at Captain D's. And I am on some person's plate from Kentucky that will put slather me in tartar sauce and eat me in three bites. Now, can you see what's happened? Out of my own lust, own, own, I've got to own it. I've got to take responsibility. So listen to me very closely. Yeah, everything happens for a reason. No question about it. But I want you to know, sometimes that reason isn't a good God. It's a bad devil. It's a cursed world. Sometimes it's just us stupid people. As I often say, I really believe the enemy could retire, leave us to our own choices, and think, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> I think the devil sees some of the choices that we make and thought, I never thought of that. <laughs> I'm going to try that on the next human being I see, and that's a pretty good idea. Could I have an amen? So listen to me, just because it's over your fireplace, just because it's sold at a Christian bookstore, just because it's cliche, it's been said over and over and over and over and over again, doesn't mean that there should not be some biblical temperance to it. Yes, God is sovereign. The Bible tells you and I in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 15 and 16, the Bible says that God is the only potentate. Don't you love that potentate? And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Potentate is the Greek word dynasties. We get a word dynasty from it means supreme ruler. Uh, king is basilio, and it means sovereign one. Uh, Lord is kudios, and again, it means someone who's in charge. Jesus is our Lord. He's our master. He's in charge. No question about it that God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he gave me, he gave you a free will. So we must balance that out appropriately instead of blaming a wonderful God because I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in these last days, God is not your problem. He is your solution. So let's not just go by Christian hearsay. That's not accepted in a court of law. Let's make sure that we study the book for ourselves. Let's have a revival of the Bible. And just because somebody said it on the internet or social media or on YouTube does not mean that it is the Word of God. Let's have a revival of the Bible. Let's go from hearsay to he said. And when we go to he said, we'll know the truth. And the truth will make us free.